So I also have a really weird habit that I want to tell you about. Um, I love mystery shows, uh, spot movies, murder mysteries, detective mysteries, legal thrillers. But I have this habit that if it's going to be really intense, I go on Wikipedia and I read the plot summary and I figure out how it's going to end. And then I go back and watch the rest of the show or movie or read the book. Now, a lot of my friends and family routinely mock me for this. Uh, they claim it's cheating. They claim it's uh, a spoiler alert, and spoiler alerts are, like, really bad. Um, so I've lived with a lot of shame around this habit of mine until science came to my rescue. I mean, isn't it great? Doesn't, don't we want science on our side, you know? So there was a study published in a paper called the Journal of Psychological Studies, and get this title. You don't need to read the article because the title says it all. Story spoilers don't spoil stories. That's the title of the article from two researchers from the University of California, San Diego. One of the researchers said that knowing the way the story ends changes the way you experience the story while you're watching it now for the better. Well, okay, so here's, here's how science works sometimes. As you know, if you're in any kind of research, it was a limited study. It was a small sample size. It has not been replicated. Actually, there was another study that disputed it, but I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I'm sticking with this research. Okay, we do know this, though. I can tell you this emphatically. God is pro-spoiler alert. Absolutely. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the prophets, all throughout the Psalms, all throughout the New Testament, and especially as we get to this passage you heard read, Revelation 21 and 22, God is telling you, I'm giving you a big, fat spoiler alerts all the time, dropping them here, 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 here in the biblical plot line. And then we get to the end, and we have Revelation 21 and 22, and the message of this, this great text is, through all the twists and turns of your life, through all the disappointments and all the setbacks, through all the joys and all the losses and all the griefs and all the gains and all the wonder, Jesus is telling us, believe me, trust me, follow you, follow me. The story can end well, not just for you, but for all of creation. It can end well. Genesis Chapters 1 and 2 begins with two creation stories. Revelation 21 and 22, at the end of the Bible, what do we have? Two new creation stories. Incredible balance. I love the way the biblical plot line ties together. So Revelation chapter 21, and if you look on in your bulletin there, it'll probably be more helpful if you follow along with me. So verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So the first creation. And now there's a new creation. And God is giving us this spoiler alert to say, I want you to know the end can be better than you ever imagined. And here's the thing with God's spoiler alerts. It doesn't just help us personally enjoy the story that we're in, the story of our life, the story of our world. It actually helps us live it better, to live it with more courage, to live it with more perseverance, to live it with more joy and hope. 
Now, I know you've been in a series of, on the book of Revelation, and I'm sure you've probably heard throughout this series that St. John, writing from the island of Patmos, is, is a pastor. He's a theologian, he's an artist, he's a poet, but he's also a pastor, and he's writing to suffering people. He's writing to people who have, who have resisted the allure of the Roman Empire and have been faithful to Jesus. And back up in chapter 20, verse 4, just before this, he says he's, he's writing on behalf of those who have been beheaded for the faith, their faith and witness in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty graphic term. These people have suffered. And so he's writing to suffering people, and he's also writing to people to minister and walk with suffering people. And he wants us to catch a vision of heaven, a vision of the end of the story that will sustain and transform us as we live our lives now. So the end breaks into the present. If you want to use really fancy language, the eschatological, the end, infuses the ethical. It infuses the end. Eschatology is about the end. The ethical is how you live your life. It infuses us now with how we live our lives now. So in this text, these two little passages, little clips you got from chapter 21 and 22, there's a lot of images that St. John gives us. There's, there's a street, there's trees, there's a bride, there's leaves, there's, there's a river, there's a street, there's no lamp or sun. But I want to focus on just one image because it's an image that pops up a lot. Actually, in Revelation, those two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, it, it occurs 14 times. It's the image of a city, the city of God. So chapter 21, verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then chapter 22, verse 2, um, through the river of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. So each chapter begins by talking about a city. I live in the city of Aurora, east side of Aurora. I've lived there for about eight years. I bet most of you don't know, even if you've lived in Illinois all your life, that Aurora is the second largest city in Illinois. Everybody thinks it's Naperville. Pretentious Naperville. It only has 140,000 people. Lowly, humble Aurora has 200,000. But anyway, that's not my point. But... Um, but my city is, I love my city. I live on this quiet street with lined with huge, old, beautiful oak trees. There's Mexican bakeries and mom and pop, little Mexican restaurants all over the place. I love it. But it's also a broken city. I see more police cars going around, stopping, lights flashing than I've seen uh, since way more from before COVID started. I have some neighbors that are angry with each other, that don't speak to each other. The downtown area is really depressed. Cities are glorious. Cities are deeply flawed and broken. I don't need to tell you about your city, Chicago. You could probably come up with your own list, right? But there's something that St. John wants to do with this image of the city. He wants us to, to reimagine a city, a city the way a city was meant to be and the way it will be 
that will fire our imagination, that will ignite hope in our hearts, that will change how we live now. Let me say it this way. He wants us to see three things about this city, this new Jerusalem. First, it's a city of perfect leadership. Can you imagine a city with perfect leadership? Can you imagine a city that even, like, you, you could say, leadership's really good in this city. I'm, uh, you laugh. I, I don't know why you're laughing, but... But don't, I'm not going to go there, okay? I just, I don't, again, I don't know Chicago as well as you do, but I know Aurora, and I know people mean well. One of the major themes in Revelation is the throne. That's one of the major symbols. So chapter 22, verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing through the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then verse 3, again, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Who's the Lamb? You know, if you've been in this series, that's Jesus. And he's also called the Lamb who was slain. He's the ruler. He's the leader. He's the Lord who has also suffered and died on our behalf. That's the kind of leader he is. He's, he's the leader, the God in charge, the God of all authority, the Lord of lords and King of kings who will humble himself, and lay down his life to serve his people. The ruler of ultimate authority and ultimate vulnerability at the same time. The God who stood in murky waters of the Jordan River with sinners to stand in line with them, to be baptized with them, even though he was without sin. The God who said he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The God who washed his disciples' feet like an ordinary servant or slave. The God who does not manipulate or coerce, but the God who uses his power to, and privilege to serve and to renew all broken things. St. John is saying, I want you to get this, people of God. Get this vision of this ruler the leader of this city, and let it fire imagination and change how you live now. Secondly, it's a city, it's a city of le perfect leadership. It's also a city of intimate relationships. Look at verse 1 in chapter 21, first reading. That little line at the end, it says, and the sea was no more. Why would John say that? Because he's on an island, and he's imprisoned, and he's exiled. He's away from all of his loved ones, all of his friends. You ever felt that? Felt that kind of loneliness where you're somewhere where you're just disconnected. Did we not all feel that, at least somewhat during COVID? That separation, that isolation. This is a very emotional line. Every morning, John got up and he looked across the sea and every night before he went to bed, he looked across the sea and it was a reminder that I'm separated from people that I love, and I'm lonely, and, I, and I'm isolated, and it hurts. And so he says, the sea will be no more. This is a city of intimate relationships. There's another really emotional little line in this, in this passage. Chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Now, imagine this. So if you're going to, most people wipe away their own tears, right? Because we don't want, if we're crying and we're hurting and we're vulnerable, and we don't want somebody just coming up and wiping our eyes. We want to do it ourselves. So if you're going to wipe the tears off somebody's eyes, you have to get really close. You have to be really trusted. And you have to be really gentle and really tender. This is a very emotional line, and, and the Bible here is telling us that that's the kind of God we have that is that trustworthy, that gentle, that willing to use physical touch, never to hurt, but to bless and to heal. There's one more. Chapter 22, verse 2. Uh, this is also really an emotional thing for me when I read this. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in Genesis 1 and 2? Here it is again in the new creation. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. There was a prophecy in Ezekiel that talked about this river running through a city, and it talked about one kind of fruit. John says, no, it's going to be even better than that. I'll multiply it by 12, 12 times better than the prophet Ezekiel said it was going to be, yielding its fruit each month. And then this line, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I was in Cambodia about six years ago, and I don't know if you know anything about, remember anything about Cambodia history or know anything, but from 1975 to 1979, uh, a group of, a Marxist group called the Khmer Rouge, led by a man named Pol Pot, um, tried to improve society, tried to make it better, and they wound up murdering two million of their own people, destroyed the country, wiped out two million of their own people. I stood outside a prison where they held prisoners called Tool Slang Prison outside Phnom Penh with a list of all the names who, of people who had been killed there. I thought, what would this verse mean for the people of Cambodia? Its leaves are for the healing of the nations. You know, sometimes we say, there are just wounds that don't heal in this life. And I think that's true. Sometimes we just don't get over things. A death of somebody we really love, a divorce, abuse, trauma. The nation of Cambodia has never gotten over that. I don't know when they ever will. Some wounds don't heal in this life. But this text is telling us all of our wounds can be healed in that city of intimate relationships. I know, it sounds too good to be true. But that is the message of the Bible here. It is a city of intimate relationships. St. John wants us to catch this, to stay alert to this, so it transforms us and sustains us now. One more thing. It's also a city of creative work. Now, that may surprise you because usually heaven is like this place where we're just going to rest forever. I mean, where did we get the crazy idea that we're going to be sitting on clouds and all we're going to be doing is strumming like a little harp and resting and or it's going to be one 24-7 worship service? Now, I like worship. I do. I'm a priest. I'm pro-worship. 
but I don't want to sit inside all day in heaven 24-7 just in a worship service. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to because all of life is going to be worship and there is going to be a meaningful work for you to do. Look at the, the very end of chapter 21, verse 5, and they will reign forever and ever. You're going to not just worship. You're not just going to rest. You're going to reign. The word reign means to rule like a king or a queen, to exercise dominion. You're going to exercise dominion in heaven. It's not going to be perpetual retirement where you move to a nice gated community and play shuffleboard and pickleball for the rest of your life. No offense to those of you like, like shuffleboard and pickleball. After the healing from Jesus comes the ruling with Jesus. Now, all of this is where our culture gets confused because everybody likes heaven, but nobody really, oh, no, I shouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't like the door to get there. And the Bible's pretty clear that the door is Jesus. He's the one that's opened the door. And the door is wide open to anybody. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. All are called, all are invited, all nations. Another couple times in Revelation 21 and 22, it, it talks about all the nations bringing their treasures into this new city. Not just one nation, but all the nations. But Jesus is also the door. So we see this, this city of creative work, this city of intimate relationships, this city with the perfect leader. Do you see how that objection to heaven that's often been leveled against Christians, which sometimes I, we've been guilty of, but it's, it's just wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. The objection to heaven is that thinking about, longing for, waiting for heaven is a sort of escapism. It negates this world. It's like I had this image and like a bunch of firemen sitting around watching a building burn to the ground while they're talking about where they're going to go out and drink beer. That's sort of the, the critique that some people have about Christians that are thinking about heaven. Is it like that at all? Absolutely not. Remember, the eschatological infuses the ethical, the end of the story transforms and sustains how we live now. There's a philosopher named Peter Kreeft, and he says this. I read this quote, and it just like, this really got to me. He says, he imagines this experiment. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future, and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, despite your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, that's his word, not mine, you could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny. That's what St. John is doing. He's firing our imagination. He's stirring our hearts. 
He's changing our thinking. He's reordering our desires and what we long for and what we love. And he's saying, yeah, this is good right now, but you're not home yet. And that's way better. Let that infuse how you live now. You know, we do this in the liturgy around the table. This is really, this is an eschatological feast. It's not only for now, it's also pointing to the end. Part of our, one of the lines in the liturgy that gets to me every time when it talks about how we will see him face to face. I love that. That's what the table, the bread, and the wine point towards. That moment when we will see him face to face, when the sea will be no more, when he will wipe every tear from our eye. And let that vision, let that hope transform how you live now and especially how you deal with your own suffering and how we as the church walk beside in solidarity with suffering people. Heaven, long for it, see it, feel it, desire it, and let it transform you now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.